Welcome back to Mediums of Afrofuturism. Today we will be talking about the great, the wonderful, the amazing and spectacular Octavia Butler. Um, we have a few special guests with us today, about five people. Yeah, about five. Yeah, yeah. we're yeah. going to be talking about different themes within her books, her different books, her short stories. Well, they're considered short stories. I mean, but like, are they really short though? No, like, not at all. About an hour to get through. I hadn't read those in like, what, a week? Mm -hmm. Um, if you guys are wondering who this random voice is, this is our new co-host, Jay, who will be sitting with in with us for this episode. Yes, hello, hello. Hey, welcome. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in hearing a little bit more about Octavia Butler, our thoughts a little bit of a little bit of everything, talking about some power, some gender, some survival, our favorite theme, death. Oh. Uh, <laughs> then continue to listen. Butler novel is Wild Seed. Cool. Why? They have awesome characters. Anyaru is amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Go for it. <laughs> my name is Jordan, and my favorite novel is probably Kindred. And uh, I think the reason why is because I just like to see the other side of like what interracial couples go through, and like how um, he's looking into the history of like her ancestry and stuff. Just interesting to me. <laughs> Okay. Hi, my name is Luna. My favorite Butler book is uh, The Evening, The Morning, and The Night, just because it's something so different as far as her other sci-fi, and it talks about discrimination in a new and different way. My name is Tanisha Allen, and the novel that I enjoy the most is Wild Seed because of her characterization. The way she uses characters and the way she makes you love them and hate them is interesting. And then our lovely co-host. All right. Uh, I got to say my favorite one was probably Dawn. Because um, I would hardcore die for uh, one of the characters in that. Um, man, what was his name? What was his name? You know his name. Nikonj. Nikonj. Yes. I would I die, die for, for him. <laughs> for sure. So yeah. for me, Nikonj. Okay. And for the people who don't know you, because not everyone knows that you're Jay. Oh. Our lovely co-host today is Jay. Why, oh, thank you. <laughs> so the first thing that we'll be talking about is death. Um, I love the way that she portrays death in all of her books. Like, I'm all for the dark and twisty, like, let's not have happy endings. Let's let someone's head get cut off, an arm through a wall, like, whatever you may choose. Um, so what are your thoughts on the how, how she portrayed death? Um, and kind of how she used that. Not only is like a figure of thing, things that happen, but also like in a symbolic reference. And don't be afraid to like name some specific instances from the books, especially the ones that you said, this one's my favorite book. Mm -hmm. Okay. And project because computer's kind of in the middle. <laughs> so in regards to death, I'm thinking she's more realistic because life isn't cookie cutter. Like mm -hmm. shit happens. I can cuss, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Rules. Right. My bad. But things happen and... It's how do you deal with those things after they've happened. Like, the shit will hit the fan. And how will you react? Like, um, in Kindred, she's going from regular, regular life to slavery. How do you... How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Like, what am I supposed to do? People are literally beating me. Beating me. With a whole whip, like a whole, like, like a whole. What whip. am I supposed to do with that? Then yeah. I'm supposed, I'm supposed to come back to regular life and just, 
be normal. You even yeah. come back with the scars of it right. too. Mm-hmm. You're not just coming back like right. that happened in a dream and then I'm feeling it, but people are actually seeing the marks on you. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. Like psychological trauma and physical trauma. So and then the effect that it has on the people closest to you mm-hmm. or around you, even her family members, like they don't know what to assume it's marks on you. So I'm assuming that your husband's beating beating you. Yeah. But it could be something completely different. And you can't even explain it to me. If you say, oh, I'm traveling back and forth through time. <laughs> oh, word. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Like, she so crazy. Like, <laughs> call somebody. Yeah. You know? So. And I think it's interesting that although, so, like we were saying, she travels back and forth through time, and she still has these marks with her when she comes back. But her healing process, like, she comes back, let's say she came back on Tuesday at, like, 3.30. And she gets called back there Wednesday, 3.30, same time. But for them, it's been, like, 60 years. So when she's coming back, they're like, oh, you still have these marks? And she's like, yeah, it was yesterday. Like, what are you talking about? And it's like, nah, that was, like, 80 years ago. Like, what are you doing? So even, like, she has to carry these scars with her from her own time traveling, but also throughout history in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, these, that event that happened to her yesterday is, like, not even a thought for the people that she's going back to see. Mm -hmm. Right. So that whole... And back to the subject of death specifically in Kindred, the use of, I think, probably for me, the most powerful death in the entire book was the end scene between our protagonist and our antagonist. So ready for that. Oh yeah, it's it's built to a fever pitch throughout the whole series. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a struggle between this female protagonist who's put in this awful situation where she's being beaten, but she has to deal with her ancestor. Right. This guy named Rufus, and eventually it gets to the point where he's trying to force himself on her, mm-hmm. and she she realizes that she does have a breaking point, and so that that use of death, that one significant death that kind of ends all, was kind of her way of saying to me at least that there is a point that goes beyond survival where you have to put your foot down. Yeah, and so I thought that that was that was really good. Um, I just to add as well, also not just in Kindred but all of her books. I think there it depends for Octavia Butler on how she's portraying death based on a character. I think because in the deaths that happened in um, Wild Seed, they were very beautiful in my opinion. Like they were like they were horrific. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but they were not um, like gritty. I feel like in Kindred the deaths were gritty. Yeah. Like when you. <laughs> Like, when they describe the death of, um, um, dang, why not remember my name? I don't know, the husband of the guys that we were talking about? No, no, when they oh. describe the death of, of her ancestors who gave birth to Hagrid, the actual... Oh, Al- oh, yeah. Alice? Alice. Alice. Yeah, yeah, Alice. When they describe Alice's death and how, what he did to her and everything else, like, that to me, her, her suicide... Um, it was gritty, like she it described. Beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it it was it was gritty, but it was beautiful. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But then when she described, like you said, um, her it was like an ex husband, maybe like a boyfriend. It was wasn't it the well? Maybe he didn't die, but just like the one that had his ear chopped off. Yeah, right. That was, that, her, that was her. That was her husband. husband. That was her husband, yeah. right? Okay, so him when they described his death, that's gritty. Like right. it's literally <laughs> telling you the deep down nasty of like what slavery does for you. Yeah. And then when you look at um, Wild Seed. And they describe the certain deaths of different characters. Sometimes it's beautiful and sometimes it's gritty. And I think she does that depending on like what she wants the reader to get out of that specific chapter. Like for some characters, she gives them a beautiful ending. 
because she wants you to sympathize or kind of like understand that character but with other characters she gives them like a gritty ending not because that character was a bad person but because like the situation of where that character was she wants you to understand it's wrong yeah <laughs> and it kind of like alludes to um other books like the hunger game it's like Ruth's death versus like everybody, everybody else yeah. death. <laughs> it's kind of like it's it's just a difference. One thing that I do want to draw attention to, um, and kind of get you guys' opinions on, <laughs> specifically for Wild Seed, for me, when I, initially when, you know, you think about the deaths, and he's like, he just kind of takes over that body, mm-hmm. yeah. I literally imagine, like, one body falling as, like, another one that, like, is arising. Mm-hmm. Like, those deaths, like, he's taking their lives, and those deaths, they're, they're kind of, they're poetic and they're beautiful in the way that they kind of just, like, pass one life mm-hmm. to the next. Right. But... The perspective of how Doro sees it versus how, yeah, and how she sees it. So, like, when you guys are reading Walt, like, what did you think about that? Like, the way that death is portrayed between both eyes. Because for Nianwu, that was like that was some nasty shit. She was like, but for Doro, he's like, this is just his life. Yeah, for him, I think it's he's when you've lived with immortality. There's this limit to how much you can actually value human Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. just because you've seen so much of it disappear. So for him, it's like he has a taller order than yeah. everybody else. So him, like, switching bodies is a commodity. It's like switching clothes. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't see life as being so precious because he's been giving such a long one. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that could ring true to how human beings are. Like, uh, in general, when they um, think about death, you have to have a certain value number. Or not number, I guess, a certain value connected to your society's view of humanity. So, like, let's say the idea of reincarnation can lead to you thinking a little less of someone because you have this guarantee of coming back. But let's say if you were someone with a more atheistic view, you would value your life more than others because you don't know what you have after that. There's no guarantee. So I feel like when Inyangu feels that pain, because she's able to shapeshift, every life to her is precious right. because she could be any of those lives in any moment mm-hmm. versus Doro, who can literally snap one into oblivion. You know what yeah. I mean? That much like change and that much shift is mm-hmm. natural. So I see like the, I guess the term beautiful to me just means natural. So it's almost like when you would, as a kid, hear about like the Lion King circle of life. Like yeah. you didn't internalize it, but you mm-hmm. knew the importance of the situation. So it was interesting. Um, that brought up to me an interesting um, idea that I thought about. Another illusion to a movie. <laughs> um, have you guys ever seen uh, The Green Mile or read the yes. book before? When you think about that movie and you think about our main character and how he has to live with like the guilt of being um, like massive the murderer of those two girls that he actually loved and how he takes in everyone's pain and he mm. dies with that pain, he ends up saying something like the world, he has a hold of pain in the world and he shows it to Tom Hanks' character and he's like, do you see how that feels? Yeah. And then he gives Tom Hanks like, kind of like, the power of immortality too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's kind of the same situation. Tom Hanks didn't really realize his uh, impact on death in society until he had that long life he had to live. Whereas um, the other character... He understood, like, why it was necessary for him because he understood the importance of pain and suffering. And I think with Adoro, it's, I'm Adoro, with Doro, <laughs> it's the, kind of the same um, situation because he understands, I think, life 
and that there is a cycle for it, but he doesn't understand emotion. And yeah. I don't know if he just doesn't understand emotion because he doesn't want to, like he's ignorant to it, because he obviously has it. He has it when Anyanu was dying. <laughs> she was like, I'm Andre's reality. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, done like, with he it. Has, yeah. He has emotion, but it's like he chooses when he wants to use it and when he doesn't want to use it. And it's kind of like his own like enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just add one thing? Yeah. I know it's, but, um, and Yanwu is, like, the novel says she's more creative. Mm-hmm. And Doro is destructive. And they've both been conditioned to live a certain way. They said that, um, or Butler says that Doro is, like, 2,000 plus years old. Mm-hmm. And Yanwu is only, like, 300. Mm-hmm. So, in that context, she is more of, like, a daughter. Yeah. And she's been put in, put in a position to be a nurturer. She's a healer. <coughs> Doro, he's been alive for so long, lived so many lifetimes, been in so many bodies. He's he's everything and nothing. You know what I mean? He's empty. Yeah. How can you tell someone or an essence that's been around for so long to conform to these certain ideas? For him, life is precious in the form of his experiments, but not to him personally anymore. Because he has no companion. No one to check him, basically. Right. When he goes too far. You're right, because for so many years, he was by far the most powerful, the most omnipotent, the most overwhelming mm-hmm. presence that he's ever run up against. It was it was always him. And so, speaking of that, that Doro, that, that powerful figure, uh, let's talk a little bit about power in Butler's work. Uh, what are some other instances of this this dynamic, the use of power as a theme in Butler's work? Actually, I have a quote. So, um, Lena, what's a quote? Okay. Yeah, because I, when I read this, it really like solidified it for me. Okay, so basically, uh, Canavan says on page four, um, in Butler's fiction, the violence of power is always matched by the erotics of power, an unexpected dimension of domination that retains an inescapable hold on her characters, but despite the fact that they did not choose it, do not want it, and often suffer grievously for it. So it's this idea that, like, the only thing that really can be blamed for a person's action is the power in which they're willing to get for it, if that makes sense. Because any person in, let's say, poverty or in an extreme, you know, survival situation will do things that is out of character. But the one thing that most human beings and most characters can justify any action is when they realize there is a power imbalance and they feel the need to balance it out. You know, taking advantage of that situation is almost the same as feeling the need to survive it. You know, it's the same pull, it's the same desire that you feel that you deserve whatever it is. So it's almost it's every government's, you know, stabilizing factor. It's it's what keeps most people in their hierarchical um, status, you know. There is no hierarchy without a bottom and a top, you know. Someone has to be able to lose something in order to someone okay, then gain. steal it from them and gain it, you know. It's what keeps people moving in different directions. It's what stops other people from just straight anarchy because... If you know there is someone somewhere with something over you, you won't do anything, you know? There is nothing to stop someone who has nothing to lose. Yeah. So, I mean, Butler sees that in every person she probably meets and and probably thinks about how to best uh, pull it out of them, I guess, because 
living a lie is worse than like not acknowledging something like that. Mm-hmm. So for her to write books like you were saying, like for Wild Seed and Yahoo can see the power mm-hmm. hungriness of Doru. Right. There is nothing left for him, you know? He can't even see his own reflection anymore. He probably doesn't even know what he looks like anymore. Yeah. True. You know what I mean? For someone like that who has unchecked power and is mm-hmm. never challenged by anyone for so many years, you can't think that he would care about people, you know? There is no one that's ever he's ever had to look them in the eye and apologize to. There is no accountability. There is no one else's agency he has to worry about. Right. So it's just almost like a chemical in him that he's just yeah. always having to live with. And I think it's interesting because in Butler, you can tell in all of her novels, like clearly there's this this theme of power. Kindred, Ruth is having power over Dana and literally everybody underneath them. Wild Seed, you have this power between Dora and Anyanwu, kind of not even who has the most power, we know who has the most power, but who's using that power respectfully. In Wild Seed, you have, you know, the Owen Kali, um, they have the most power in that situation. Um, oh wait, is that Wild Seed? No, That's Dawn. Dawn. There's so many books in such a short period of time. <laughs> but in Dawn, you have the Owen Kali, um, and they have the power. And Wild Seed, Wild Seed is Dawn. Or Wild Seed is Dora. Wild Seed is in Dora. Okay. What was the other one I was going to say? Bloodchild, maybe? I didn't read Bloodchild. Oh, okay. It is, it's a, but there's power in Bloodchild. Yeah, there's power in every book. Them. Yeah, there's po- there's a power like, complex in every book that we yeah, see. Yeah, Bloodchild is Kendra, alien that, mm-hmm. that holds on. The, yeah. the, just that entire species in general um it's okay oh yeah just that time oh yeah species in general and how they're um interacting but speaking of species yeah Yeah, (laughs) Um, so yeah yeah uh i'm I'm glad that we brought up this subject of blood child because that one does does something very different from what we traditionally see in butler's books um we typically see that the male authority figure is corrupted by power and that the female characters typically handle power a lot better but in bloodchild something interesting happens and the power dynamic is kind of flipped on its head where the female figure is this this alien this what are they called again these just the team the uh, the Taliks. Yeah, Taliks. Yeah, Tilks. Yeah, this And it's actually the female Taliks who hold political office, who are in these positions over their typically male kind of surrogates for their children. So can we talk a little bit about these instances, specifically about the way that gender plays a role in Butler's books? like to say um in the book that we just finished reading um paramount the sower the gender and how lauren when she decides to like leave and like start her own community and like start surviving she decides to become a man and how becoming a man helps the like how women and men are perceived in society and how each one of them would quote-unquote like survive better than the other and so the choice of like, do you become a man or do you become a woman? And kind of like in Kindred, how she had to, Dana had to decide, like, oh man, what if she was a male? Or what if she had, like, run away and pretended that she was a male? And how would she survive versus being a female? The security in which gender you're going <coughs> to run. Yeah. And what what about Anyanwu, who didn't have this this specified gender? She had this fluid ability to be either one how did how did that affect you know that is so interesting she did have a food ability to be either one yet she always chose 
to be maternal. Of course, that has to go back to her her nature, her just mm-hmm. her just tending emotional, being like nurturing. But you can be like I think we had this conversation in class before. You can be nurturing and also be male. Like yeah. you can still be um, because Don was um, in yeah. Bloodchild, yeah. and you can still have those um, those abilities to still say, okay, I'm going to be this thing like not not mother but be you know the, yeah, the characteristic yeah, yeah or caretaker yeah. of someone but it's funny because um I don't even really know I don't remember if she ever actually talked about why she chose to be female most of the time and I I would imagine though it probably has to do with how she saw the mother relationship with others because when you think about a mom looking in African villages and stuff like that when you're looking at that culture the mom is always um, a sacrificer, I would say, in most cultures. She's usually the person that's, like, um, giving for her child. She's going to be the one that you're going to come talk to. But she's also not going to be the person that's, like, head of household. But she has that authority to tell dad, like, you're not going to talk over me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? There's still that balance of, like, I realize where I'm at and she's confident with who she is. Whereas with Adoro, he took on that male figure and it became more of, like, an overpowering figure. But... You don't have to be, you don't have to put masculinity with power. And you don't have to put femi- femininity. Femininity, yeah. <laughs> femininity with um, being weak or like being uh, soft. So I think it's just really interesting that she doesn't really explain why she chooses a female role. Well, I feel like um, we've seen that Butler, she, she said on numerous accounts, like she's taller, she has a deeper voice. So she plays with masculinity and femininity because that's her life. Yeah. And it's it's amazing how we are all conditioned within our society. Like, a woman can have more uh, masculine characteristics, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And a male can have more feminine characteristics. But it's about uh, being... Um, flowing with whatever you have to do. Yeah. Yes. Being fluid. Yeah. Whatever's required required from you based on that uh, situation, that's what you give. Mm-hmm. So if you need to be more assertive or aggressive, which is mm-hmm. usually associated with being masculine, then you do that. Mm-hmm. Or if you need to be more subtle and subdued, mm-hmm. people think <laughs> air quotes. Right, air quotes <laughs> that that's what a woman's supposed to be. For yeah. example, um, Lilith. She's yeah. put in a situation to be the boss. The boss, period. That chick. And then when the aliens are like, oh, we thought about putting a man in this position. And it's just like, you don't know. You can't base um, history. Our history has shown, okay, if you put a man in control, then he's supposed to do this. He'll do this. He'll do that. Women can be empowered, too. Yeah. We yes. have to be empowered. And usually we're empowered, but behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Running and everything. I'm glad you brought up Walsy, though, because Walsy plays plays with gender. You have these mm-hmm. three diff- you have these three different genders. You have your male, you have your female, and then you have or er, god damn it. Mm-hmm. Dawn. You have these three different genders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So male, female, and then the Yeah. Oh O L I O. Yeah, so you have these three different genders that you're playing with and ultimately it seems like in all of her books there's this idea of fluidity within your gender. Right. Um, that certain pieces of certain genders are swapped. Right. So, for instance, in Dawn, usually women are the ones who conceive or, like, have the child, but without the, the ulioi, oh, mm-hmm. the ooze, without them, that intimacy won't 
you won't have the full effect of it. Because mm-hmm. later in the book where it says how Lilith is saying how they've taken that away from them. Um, they can't have their intimate moments without one of them being present with them. Mm-hmm. Um, or how their children are now going to grow and they're going to be part Onkali, part human, but then they may have this third gender and now it's like, okay, well, how are these children going to grow? Right. So the way that they play with gender within Dawn is mm-hmm. very interesting. When you guys are reading it, what did you what did you think about it? What did you pick up? Did you have any thoughts I on how they played with it? It really rang true to, like, fourth wave feminism, I feel like, mm-hmm. because there's this new facet of, like, anonymity because mm-hmm. of the internet, and now this right. kind of, like, technology lets you be whatever version of you you accept to the world. Does yeah. that make sense? So there is no, like, excuse of, like, oh, but you have long eyelashes. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can't s- right. assess someone and assign whatever you feel like is the proper label. True. Because there's a space now where we're all faceless. You know what right. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the Uloi kind of give you that uh, expectation. You know, like, imagine if I was thinking of it as, like, a clearly female avatar versus a clearly male, and then a third yeah. in between, where you can yeah. find that on different, like, mm-hmm. you know, on different servers and different games and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of already is something that contemporarily we don't even recognize anymore because... You know, when Butler was writing, that was not a thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Even to write things like that is a big deal. So it's important to realize that that space is already something she's created. Yeah, and, uh, it's really interesting, too, that you brought up Avatar, because that's exactly what I thought about reading <laughs> Dawn. Not Avatar The Last Airbender, but Avatar The <laughs> like, Blue People. Yeah, 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 Nobody yeah. else, like, get that. Like, that's the, the whole... Airbender. I don't know, like, that's just what I envisioned. <laughs> I just envisioned... Because, like, even when I went and I saw the movie Avatar with the Blue People... Can I be honest with you? I didn't know if they even had a gender. Like, I knew Naturi, who is always, yeah, Saldana's, like, character. Obviously, she was a female, and then, you know, Sam um, Wellingworth was a guy. Mm-hmm. But when I first looked at them, and then also I was, like, what, like, 15 or 13 or 12? Yeah. So, like, I didn't really think about it. But now you look at it, and it's just something really beautiful and kind of different about how they look at it. Mm-hmm. And that goes into the topic of love. Topic of love. Um, I think it's really funny as both with that movie and with the books, how she chooses um very interesting uh native cultures and different like foreign cultures to mm-hmm. represent how love looks in other parts of the world. Yes. A great example is how love is seen in um Parable of the Sour versus how love is seen and um, Wild Seed. Mm-hmm. It's very different, especially in Wild Seed. Like, Wild Seed is just so crazy. You have love on so many layers. Wow, right. It's layered. It's, layered. it's so many layers of, like, her loving nature, her loving her child, her loving um, Doro to an extent, but yeah. him not loving at all. And then in Parable of the Sour, it's different because love, it's funny, like, love is never really shown in the relationship between Corey, who is Lauren's mom and her dad, but it's shown in her love for her family mm-hmm. and it's lacked in her, in her brother Keith's behavior mm-hmm. and so you kind of have like the modern family issue of like the teenager that thinks he knows everything and thinks somebody loves him and then something horrible happens to the teenager who loves everybody and she doesn't really know where to put all that love at so it just kind of extends and I think that's her hyper empathy power comes from is that you ever heard um it's kind of like the idea of poltergeist right when you have so many emotions, you guys know what a poltergeist is, right? Yeah, a ghost with a so, yes, the ability to move. Yes, the ability to So, yeah. like, when you hold things in for so long, what a poltergeist does is, like, 
Um, if something bad happens to you, like a death in the family, when you hold it in for so long and it builds anxiety, it builds depression, it builds all these different things, it'll actually portray itself in the form of a ghost. And it's not actually a ghost like somebody who died and came back. It's your emotions. The only way to get rid of it is to go through therapy and have a medium come in and cleanse your soul. She has to cleanse your emotion. It comes completely from your emotion. And the idea of hyper-empathy for Lauren is the idea of poltergeist in the sense of love, though. She loves and feels so much that she doesn't know where to put it at. So it comes out in the form of a superpower versus coming out in the form of a poltergeist that walks around and spreads love to everyone else. So a better example, because I know you're kind of like, what? Like, if I had That's a poltergeist right now, <laughs> yeah. if I had a poltergeist right now and it was in this room, it could literally pick up this uh, TV here and throw it. But you would think it's a ghost, but the only way to get rid of it would have to be through me going to therapy and focusing on my emotions to get rid of it. So basically, it's like a you got to get right in order yeah, for things it, to get right. It's a sixth sense uh, entity. That's crazy. That comes straight out of emotions. And then also, when talking about love, it's also interesting how like she talks a lot about incest. And like it, it's almost so much. Like, yeah, and you're, you you so have much. to kind of think like for her, is it because she's kind of pulling off of that like family love tie that goes a lot deeper than a lot of western culture can really capture because in a lot of other languages love is never really used in one sense like i know for from what i've seen in like the hindi language Mm -hmm. there's actual love and then there's passionate love for love like you know a husband or partner and then there's familial love yeah that you would feel the same for like a cousin or an aunt you know yeah but they're supposed to be all strong in different ways so like it's almost like butler sees these these other cultures and their ties and seeing as how english and like the western world isn't able to use those terms in the most uh, strengthening way because love is seen like as something uh not long term in some senses. Like the only thing that separates you is sickness and in health, you know, and yeah. then only in death. But then also love can last, like ancestrally, like we saw with Rufus. Like she doesn't love him. She just knows she can literally not live without him. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> she can she can recognize that and yeah. she can understand that. And then like in Bloodchild, like he understands his role with this alien mm-hmm. is that he will give birth for it. But like it's also like a mother figure, and then also like it's first love. Like it, it's almost like Butler knows that there's so many facets of that that emotion that you can't necessarily give one word, and it's not enough to emote it to the word love. So almost giving it an ancestral, ancestral. I don't know how to say that. Ancestral. Ancestral. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it's just kind of like the different modes yeah. in which people can emote that emotion you know what i mean there are words that she just wants to enunciate with situations and it just feels like the perfect amount of like wow i'm uncomfortable but like honestly i see what's happening like you know what i mean yeah it doesn't feel out of left field which is kind of disheartening like you'd think that this would be totally disgusting to us like we don't understand what you're talking about but it comes from something you know what i mean it's almost like she sees the kindred spirit like she's talking Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. and she kind of just weaves it into this like we all have this concept of humanity and that's really what it comes down to like human to human caring call that love call that survival call it what you need to Mm -hmm. but it's important to keep it intact yeah and not not only human to human understanding but this this introduction with dawn of a new race of this alien race just like in blood child it's not just human to human love 
it's just love for another being mm -hmm. that you might not understand yet, but that you still develop feelings for. Uh, I like the, I like how well she adapts to this idea that love surpasses what you think that it traditionally should. Mm -hmm. It it goes beyond all of these, kind of as you were saying these uh, these ideas that our culture has of what. Uh, boxes yeah. we should put different loves into mm -hmm. but with the introduction of alien races and these these extreme circumstances she really plays with that idea that love can be so different I want to talk about the duality of power and love yeah. or yeah, power and love and how for some characters like Doro or Rufus love meant ownership mm. Now, I feel like Doro, his character is very dynamic. Because you could say, like in the beginning, we don't really know who Doro is. Mm -hmm. We don't. We still don't know who he really mm -hmm. is. Now, in Yahoo, she gets to the core of him when she's like, all right, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> the way she did like, that, though, she was just like... She's just moving around. Everybody like, Doro, you can't, you can't see that you're not going... <laughs> And he got to pull a baby, baby, please, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> please don't die on me. And he got to shed a couple tears mm -hmm. for her to be like, okay, I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> yeah. We knew Yahoo wasn't really going to just leave all her all her kids. She won't Could she be able to, though? Could she, physically? Now, she could shut herself she... down. She was really close. But I think Doro, I want to believe that she wouldn't give up. Because she's been through so much. I want to believe that. But based off of her actions, she was close. Yeah. But it could have just been a test to see how far Doro would go. Well, I think that might have been one of the cases where we see that this, this female protagonist, mm -hmm. this feminine energy brings out this, this positive emotion, Humanity. even in the darkest, mm -hmm. most gone people. Right. That this love has the ability to save. Bring you back. Mm -hmm. I do think, now I don't know about y'all, but when I was reading this, it literally made me think of those situations where like you have like that one baby mom that keeps going back to her baby daddy, and, and like, she's just like, I'm not coming back, right. and then like, he's like, oh, let me give it to you, and then like, they, because <laughs> there were so many times where she's like, I'm not dealing with this, I'm over, yeah. and then he was like, oh, you think you over, bang, 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 and then now she's back and they laying on the couch, yeah. or like, she's like, I'm leaving, and yeah. next thing you know, he's like literally like in her soul somehow, like, they doing some freaky he stuff. was in there, in there, <laughs> so you know, it it just made me think of that, and then so when she finally was like, yeah. "I'm a like I'm gonna just leave you," and he's like, "Oh my god, no baby, please don't leave me." Right. Like even when she finally comes back, there's still this this compromise. Right. That was one of mm -hmm. the biggest things in Wallace was this idea of compromise. How much compromise is he willing right. to go through? Certain things she's like, "This is like this is it. This right. is what I'm gonna allow. And this is what I'm not." And those certain things where he was like, "Listen, girl, I have to do this. Yeah, I have to take, I have to take bodies. Yeah, and to, so even and that idea." That idea of compromise, whether it's through power, through love, mm -hmm. because throughout these books, like, it's almost like a pick your battles. Like, do right. I want to be hung up over the fact that people are like, that incest is going on? Right. Or am I going to be hung up over the fact that she has literally traveled back in time to deal with her ancestors and through slavery and who's coming back? Like, what am I going to really focus my attention on? So I don't know about for mm -hmm. you guys, but for me, like, incest was in the back of my mind at that point. It was just like, listen, they just... 
that's just what they did during that time. Yeah, I that's guess. what it is. That's the norm. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, social norms. Whatever the norm during your time or whatever universe mm-hmm. you're in, that's what yeah. you have to deal with. Yeah, and for a lot of males, for survival. Go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, like how you mentioned that, I never really thought about like our choice on like as an audience on how we uh, receive and how we like. Um, you know, how we react to the certain situations because the characters have to react to their own situation within right. the book and how we decide mm-hmm. um, if we like it or if we don't like it. So it's pretty yeah. powerful. I, I really like that, um, that, that you specifically pulled up the idea of survival and that you kind of elaborated on it's until you're in that situation, you don't know what you're going to do mm-hmm. when faced with something as extreme as we see Anyanwu running up against this Doro character who's inevitable or with Kindred when our protagonist is up against I mean her potential family member uh, this person who she needs in order to be born mm-hmm. um, so let's talk a little bit about survival in these books and and how Octavia Butler really plays with that idea of you know, do whatever it takes to keep going. Go ahead. I'll say okay. that. <laughs> so, if we look at the short story, The Blood Child, there's a, a story called Speech Sound. Ooh. And in Speech Sound, there's a woman and, well, there's a language barrier, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, people get a disease and they either lose their ability to write and read mm-hmm. or they can't hear each other. So, it's a lot of conflict because there are it's the language barrier yeah. just in regular life it seems pretty normal like people get frustrated because they can't understand each other mm-hmm. and instead of slowing down and being respectful and listening to people because you could piece it together if you would just calm down mm-hmm. and listen people don't they get irate upset they want to fight because we understand hands flying yeah people understand <laughs> that <laughs> or yelling mm-hmm. or saying like calling people out their names like you should learn english what exactly what does you that mean language, what right? does that mean to you now, the act of survival is they've learned, okay, how, how I will survive is by being aggressive or by showing aggressive, like I have power, Yeah. right? But in survival in general, it's about doing what you have to do. And this lady forms a bond with um, another character and he has what she lost. So they're able to work together to mm. survive. I'm not going to say the rest because I don't think you got you have you read no I'm no. not gonna say anymore <laughs> but let's talk about uh Lilith yeah that, that's what I was gonna bring mm-hmm. up I kind of wanted to go around and see if you guys were in Lilith's situation mm-hmm. where you wake up 250 years later your world is completely years yeah your world is completely gone they created a world for you. It was like, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to put you back in this world that we created that really isn't your world anymore. Once you figure out how to live in our yeah. world. Right. Like, if you guys were in that situation and you had to have little alien babies, like, how how do you think you would react would, in that situation? I would be like, this is some bullshit. But, I mean, <laughs> I'm alive. I don't want to, you know, what am I going to do at this point? I'm not, you know what I mean? Let's just see how it works. Yeah. This is, this is wild. Kind of play yeah. off like what you're saying. Like, it's so easy to not be in the situation and say like, oh, I would like rebel. I would resist. I <laughs> right. wouldn't do this. But then like, do these people literally have the power over you to like end your life or choose what you need to do? And how do you survive? And how do you like help the next generations survive? And it's not just about you anymore, but it's about the world that you could create and you could shape. And so it's really tough to say like oh like these people and i know that one of the 
um, I, I think it was one of Butler's, like, actual, like, friends or someone that she went to school with who was saying, like, oh, my ancestors, like, all those old people, like, like yeah, 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 people, yeah, like, they should have done this and mm-hmm. that, but it's like, bro, like, you weren't where they, they were, <laughs> right. and you don't know what they had to go through to survive, and, mm-hmm. like, what they, the choices that they had to make, whether they liked mm-hmm. it or not, and, like, yeah, it's, like, super tough. I will say, though, I feel like the only place as far as survival that I'm at odds with Butler kind of said where she's like, every compromise is worth it. Because it, you have to kind of ask yourself, what are you after for a few of those? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, am I willing to live with that version of myself that made those compromises? Right, true. Like, you know, what what part of my core value survives mm-hmm. after I've dealt with those situations <laughs> and I've placated to whoever... Because when I, when I really understood when she was resisting... But then her turnaround, like, I didn't know how to process that because it was almost like it made it seem like every frustration or every person that's died saying no is kind of just dissipated. Like, you just said yes. You mean all of us kind of like, what are we? You know what I mean? Because I feel like it's true that I would probably do what she did. It's almost, to me, the the idea that, like, um, uh, the, the, the understanding that, oh, well, we fixed it for you. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, okay, but what are you, what else are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, what is this trade? Yeah, because yeah. like yeah. we were talking about before, I feel like the way power works, I don't trust any being. Right. Period. True. You have a hierarchy. Don't mm-hmm. come to me talking about you don't have one. You do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you see in the Owen column. Yeah. Like, right. the Oli are, they are the bottom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have, I don't know how to say their name. The Uloi yeah. are at the top. Yeah, like you Definitely have. Definitely at the top. <laughs> Yeah, like, you have a hierarchy in that, yeah. even when you're saying we don't have a hierarchy, right. like, everyone, yeah. yeah, don't. It's almost like, okay, so to me, it's almost like, if I had a power, just like uh, Inyanwu or, like, the Uloi, something mm-hmm. that people in society need from me, mm-hmm. then I would be willing to do whatever it takes as far as survival, because I play a role. Yeah. But if it's something about me personally surviving, there has to be an essence of who I am that that I maintain. Otherwise, I'm like Doro. I'm nothing except a shell right. of, like, Ooh. aimless monster. And I don't want to be, <laughs> okay. you know? Like, I don't want to be whatever that is. And okay. that's not... I mean, that, yeah. I, in the beginning, it's survival, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all innocent and fair. And, you know, you can explain away every decision until you've murdered a whole town. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. like it blows in proportion. Yeah. So you kind of just kind of have to realize that when you're talking about a situation where... Yeah, she has to do this. Yeah, she has to do that. But it's just kind of like, think about your future and think about your core values and what you turn into after that. Because you do change. Every decision, right. just like how um, Parable of the Sower, like, she has to see change mm-hmm. as a force, as mm-hmm. a religion. Like, she mm-hmm. sees that it's important and then has to literally acclimate her life to it. And then the people who don't, in the dust. Like, you yeah. just, so what are you guys? like? If you were in Lilith's situation, like, you, you were there, you went through everything that she went mm-hmm. through, what would be something that you would refuse to give up? Because there are many things that she refused. She was like, I'm not giving that up. But then when it comes down to it, your life or death, you make it or you die, you stay on the ship or you go. So she ends up having to stay on the ship anyway, which pissed me off. Uh-huh. But like, it's like either this or death, either yeah. this or you succumb to whatever we tell you to be. What would be a core value that you would not give up? I think for her, there was a point where she. Um, it, it hit her that no matter what she says to them, they're going to do it to her anyway. Mm-hmm. That I understood. I was like, you know what? If you know you're just going to have to go through the emotions, mm-hmm. I get that. But then if they ever ask her to do something actively with her own power, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right now, her only expectation is to teach the people coming after her, these new human beings. 
But we haven't read the other part of that. Xenogenesis? Yeah. yeah. So I'm expecting there's going to come a point where they give her a lot more license. They're going to go, okay, well, right. we trust you now. We let you have your range. Mm-hmm. You get to do whatever you want. She's going to have the choice of actively pulling someone down to where she's at, which I believe once you get to that point mm-hmm. and you're playing to what these people want from you, that's where I would stop. Because mm-hmm. up until that point, you're just surviving, you know? Yeah. But then now you're trying to gain power. You're not just there to survive anymore. Because they've given you that leeway and they know you enough. Yeah. That they can, you know, entice you. They're like, oh, well, now I know she wants space. Now I know she wants power. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell, like, you know, and then once you have children, we know you want to protect your children. Yeah, and that whole idea of learn and run. Because when she first, when they were first like, okay, you're going to train, she's like, bet, I'm going to teach them and then I'm going to tell them to run. Yeah. And when it finally came to the training ground, she's like, where are y'all going? Mm -hmm. There's like nothing but walls. Where are y'all going? And she kind of like loses that same momentum. Mm -hmm. And then she's battling. She's like, do I continue with the telling of learn and run? Or do I just succumb to where I'm at and just kind of leave it there? So that's where you can kind of see that compromise and that trade of, is she going to stick to her learn and run? Or is she going to be like, okay, we probably aren't that bad and kind of like stay with them. Mm -hmm. And I think there, in the difference between the responses of our protagonist in Kindred and Lilith's response to this sort of situation, that's where we show Butler's kind of taking two different ways Mm -hmm. of approaching this dynamic. In Kindred, we saw there's definitely a point that our protagonist puts down her foot and says enough is enough. Mm -hmm. But with Lilith... Just in the book that we read, just in Dawn, we don't know what that point is. Yeah. There's, there hasn't out. been a point where she's put her foot down. Yeah. So maybe this is her saying, you know what, maybe some people don't make that choice. Yeah, there's maybe for some people that survival aspect goes beyond everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, we haven't, she's had her children, but we haven't been introduced them in this book yet. Right. Because whenever children are involved, that's mm-hmm. when the, the tables yeah. turn. Right. Because even in Kindred, although they didn't have any children of her own, there were still small children that she was caring for, that she was close with, and what those children got into effect. Like, I guess Hagar would be considered like the child that she's protecting, even though it's like her ancestor. Mm-hmm. But that child that she's protecting, she's now like, this is outside of herself, of like, you know, not allowing Rufus to treat her as if she was Alice. That's where she draws the line. Mm-hmm. And Wild Seed, you have a Yanwu, and cl- literally her children, like, because he kills. Well, he doesn't kill one of her children, but that I forgot that guy's name. Yeah. Um, Thomas? Little Mind Palace. Oh, yeah, it's oh. Woods. Is Thomas? Was it the one on the boat? No, no, no. Oh. When they were at the house, he made them fall off the house. Oh, what's his her name? Son. Stephen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When the little yeah. boy died, like, she lost yeah. it, and, like, that was the last straw for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dawn, although she doesn't really lose, she has a little, the little boy in the beginning, mm-hmm. but she doesn't have any children that she's losing yet. Right, and the next book, we're introduced to you know her first child, mm-hmm. and then there's like another child. Now there's children being involved, so it's like, okay, what are you gonna do in respect to yeah. your children? Mm-hmm. Is that where you draw your line? Yeah, because no longer your life, yeah, so it's now your lineage. Yeah. yeah, so it's something different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's one thing. Because I'll see, even say like personally, like mm-hmm. it's one thing when you know how when you were younger, your parents would make you when you would walk, they would stand on the outside of the street and they'd have you stand on the inside because when when there's not a child attached, you're like. I'll walk wherever, whatever. Right. But when there's a child with you, you're like, you walk on the inside. Mm-hmm. My life comes before your life. Right. So it kind of, it plays the same thing within everything. Um, but as we wrap up, let's talk about favorites as the semester closes in. Um, as we finish all of our reading, 
that we have done. We what read like what three six what oh, like God. six pieces of Butler's work. Wow. Because it was definitely like three stories. You read three pinkish. Yeah. Mm. It was a lot of stuff. Um, so let's start with our main character. So favorite person, animal, and whichever story. And give us like a brief description of why you like that character specifically. Yeah. And your journey with that character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Inyami. I love her. Because yeah. she's the healer. But she could get with you real quick. Mm-hmm. Play with it. And she can. And then she, when she shapeshifts, it's not just shifting into a thing and she doesn't know anything about she it. She becomes Like, it. she, exactly, literally becomes it. Even when she converts back to herself, mm-hmm. she literally becomes herself, rebirth. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that was beautiful in its own. That was crazy. Like, the layers that she put into each character is mm-hmm. ridiculous. We could have a podcast on each character. Mm-hmm. Like, really, because it's really <laughs> Like, it's crazy. We could do it when I come back. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, Lena. Um, I think for me, my favorite character was um, Donna, because it just when I think that moment when she realizes, okay, I'm gonna teach these kids how to read, and mm-hmm. I don't care what happens to me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, that's a scary choice. Yes. I don't think I could make something like that. Like y'all don't have to learn when y'all learn yeah. how to learn. <laughs> and I mean, she knows she's giving them a lot more than just how to read. You mm-hmm. know, they know they can write their own freedom papers. Right. She knows that they already suspect her. You know. She convinces Tom to, like, let her teach Rufus, Mm -hmm. but then Kevin is kind of mixed in there. So I feel like her, not desperation, I guess, her displacement, Mm -hmm. it rang so true compared to all the other female characters. Because I almost felt like she knew her place better than anybody else, you know? Like, she gets mad at Kevin for being, like, uppity about her having to live in the, like, quarters where she sleeps. Yeah. She's like, do you know how lucky I am? (laughs) Those people are on the ground. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like... Her understanding of her expectations and then having to be reassimilated to like normal life. Mm-hmm. The minute that she like loses her arm and she's just kind of left there and shambles, I'm like, yo, where could that possibly go? Like, and then they just end it. I'm just like, yeah. oh, I thought they would like pull the pages from the Me front too. to the back to kind of like do like a recap. Okay. Yeah. They, I, I literally flipped back to the front of the book yeah. to reread that section. Yeah. I'm like, okay. It makes you want to go. It's almost like a, a full circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a lifetime. You know, it's yeah. her lifetime that like. She's had to mismatch and share with mm-hmm. this whole history. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also a history nerd, so <laughs> that's uh, why I like to yeah. And the power that she has, I just really enjoyed the power that she had mm-hmm. in her being. Like, although she was sent back in time, she was a black woman who was educated, mm-hmm. who wore pants. Like, that was a yeah. big thing at that time. Right. When she sent back to, like, the 1800s, like... She refused to give up her pants until, like, she had to. Right. And that alone, I was like, you wear your pants, girl. You squat. Like, so it was just, (laughs) like, having, (laughs) there's just having that power within itself. Like, the fact that she was educated and that education, although it was, it was a weapon in its own way. She was able to teach those children. She was able to learn, like, just the thoughts of, like, okay, bring a map with me next time. Or let me have this little bag with me. Like, these are things that you think are common, but when you're put in that time frame, Mm -hmm. It's like, yo, the chick was smart. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah. Jordan? Um, even though I feel like Wild Fields isn't exactly my favorite book, mm-hmm. Yamu was my favorite, favorite character. character. <laughs> because I like that her resilience in wanting to, like, have diplomacy in, like, a world that is just, like, so full of, like, hate and slavery mm-hmm. and economic issues, mm-hmm. it just kind of stands out to me. Especially when... She uh, takes it upon herself to, like, sh- like of course, she doesn't necessarily tell Doro, like, I'm going to change. 
the way this uh, seed village is working, but she does without mm-hmm. even having to tell him. She makes it into something nurturing, nurturing, and something that's um more like just like genuine, more like art. What's the word? Like more family, family oriented. Yeah. I would say it's not like. It's not slavery, and, like, her nor Isaac make it that way until Doro shows up, and then he's just like, what are y'all doing? Yeah. But, I mean, for her to be able to take it um, and do it that way and show them that there is more to this life than being somebody's, like, slave, and that, to me, is something big for a character to do, and the power she has, like, you can't just, like, a whole goddess, and then, like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying, and then just, like, let somebody walk over you, but Mm -hmm. for her to allow that in itself, it just kind of shows you, like, her purpose. And wanting the best for everyone else, and wanting to be like the sacrifice. Yeah, and in a way, she was, she was Doro's anchor. Yeah, to, I saw him. I saw her as Doro's anchor to reality or to his little mm-hmm. portions of humanity. Yes, because in the first couple of pages, where we're introduced to her, her like whole little home that she's created for all these other people, you kind of see that they're gravitated towards her. Although, yes, they do slave-like work. That's an exchange for a loving home, for food, shelter, right. whole nine places to, you know, for your family to come, for you to build your own family. Mm-hmm. And Doro continually goes and comes back, and he asks because, you know, he has business on the other side of the pond or whatever. But in ways, he was, she was his anchor to the little bit of humanity that he has left. Because although we see him completely like, I'm going to just take this, we're going to do as please, there's still that little bit there. And that's right. when you see when she's like, I'm going to just dip out and die. Mm-hmm. And you figure it out for yourself. So... Yeah. What about you? Okay. Won't um, count it to death on Yanru. <laughs> my most, the character that I am most interested in ab- about is Doro. Mm. I actually want to like go into his history. They kind of mentioned like how he became who he became like mm-hmm. as a child and his like what is it, whatever it's called like growing into it at such the a tr- young age. Transition. Transition. Yeah. Transition. Yeah. The transition. Yeah. And so I, and, and in like the convert, not conversations, but in like the Octavia Butler by Canavan, mm-hmm. that kind of goes into like his history. So I'm like, he's like a super like yeah. fascinating, interesting person because you think like you, in all these like stories, you get to see the characters make their decisions to become who they become, mm-hmm. but you just get to see Doro as like his decision, like right, the yeah. final decision. Right. And so I am really interested in like kind of like unpacking him and seeing like all the decisions he made to become who he mm-hmm. is and why he has so much power and like why he feels and does like what he does to control people. Did you feel so? Did you have like I know I had like a, I hate Doro the whole way through until like there were like some moments I'm like oh maybe I feel for you when you learned about his upbringing. Did your viewpoints kind of change? Like, did you end up getting... Yeah, that's when, that's when I became more interested. Because, like, as a story of him as a child, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, maybe I can't really hate him. Yeah. Because yeah. you, like, really, really hate him. And he's, like, super heartless. Mm-hmm. And then you see him, like, as a child, like, uh, like unintentionally kill his parents yeah. and then, like, yeah. kill everyone so else. Crazy. And he's like, oh, my gosh, how? Like, how am I doing this? What is going on? What's wrong with me? And then him, like, having to cope with that and learn and then, like you know, yeah. grow up and whatever. So yeah. that's where my viewpoint kind of changed for him. So this is, like, real nerd-esque of me. Mm. Um, has anyone watched Naruto? Yes. Okay, great, great. <laughs> so the story, I believe it's Sasuke's brother where he, like, kills his, like, parent. Like, he goes on a whole killing spree mm-hmm. and, like, kills his parents and his whole village. And then Sasuke's, like, go back through. And he's like, oh, my God, no, get me out. 
when I heard Doro's story, it make immediately made me think of that, and I was like, oh my, like that's yeah. the immediate comparison that I had. So when I read that, that's the image that I saw, like him like wiping his parents out, and then from there just like killing the village, yeah. and I was just like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> what about you? Huh? Oh me. Uh, my favorite book is Kindred, hands down. Mm-hmm. My favorite character. I don't. I don't have one. Mm-hmm. Because there's different, everyone has, like, their own unique things that I'm drawn to. That's right. Like, so, Butler is my favorite character. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. I can't say that I have it's a nice favorite character. Have. But my favorite book is Hands Down Kindred. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Dawn is, like, right underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? I'm, I'm kind of on the same page with you. So, yeah. there's, there's so many characters that are so well developed. That's, mm-hmm. that's really the thing that gets me about Butler. It's how well she develops these characters. Each one of them has a very distinct personality. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're all strong in different ways. Even the Doro character, it's how do you cope with being a monster? Mm -hmm. I hate Kevin more, though. You hate Kevin? Kevin? I hate Kevin. Really? I didn't hate Kevin. I couldn't do it without him. Yeah, that's what I hate. Me, every other character... Had a purpose. So much of their own weight in their mm-hmm. story. And then Kevin to me is kind of just like the yeah. tissue. I'm like, man, what yeah. is going on? <laughs> Why do you suck so much? To to me, I was a little bit grounded with Kevin. Mm-hmm. So since a lot of her readers were these white males mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that she originally thought, oh, only white males mm-hmm. read mm-hmm. science fiction. Mm-hmm. That's the very audience that she was That's trying true. to break out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the inclusion of Kevin's character was kind of a salute to that idea. Yeah. This kind of unnecessary character mm-hmm. that's kind of out-characterized, but that we for some reason have to include. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that Kevin's character was also like almost a social commentary okay. on that dynamic. That. Okay. Kevin just reminded me of a little bitch baby. That's what I'm saying. Like, the <laughs> you moment, gotta be crying. Yeah, because, you know, when he had, when, when he was, like, <laughs> left there for so many years and he came back and he was like, I don't know how to use a typewriter. Wait, wait, or dry. let's give him a, let's, come on now. Well, okay, so, I understand. He had privilege, but he did have to live in, like, in that atmosphere. Yeah, so that's where I was like, yeah. you want to give him that moment because yeah. he was like, I need time. And I'm like, the fuck is that? Yeah. So like, wasn't I lost an art. Yeah. I love it. You know, like, yeah, yeah one of those things you. where it's like, okay, I'm so sorry you were there for that long, but let's talk about my back. Let's talk about my arm. Let's yeah. talk about how my, you know, ancestor tried to, like, let's talk about those things. Yeah. But then yeah. it's like, okay, the experiences are different. For her, like, that's what her ancestors have to go through. Whereas yeah. Kevin, his ancestors, we don't, the, flowers. We don't, we don't know. yeah like <laughs> yeah. you know they had like the social issues yeah. you know where yeah. clearly like he was in love and he was married to a black woman mm-hmm. um and that whatever else was dealing with him but th- so their social issues were yes. a lot different i would say it would be interesting to see because she she has so many drafts and to see if she developed um kevin's character more gave him more yeah. background to see what he actually went through, because we're just told, oh, yeah, that's he, was there. he was there for five Anybody years. Anybody a short story, y'all yeah. should do that. That's a good idea. When like, I go to the archive, I'm yeah. going to try and see if she got anything Dope. on him. Because she did say some, like, some brief things, like he was trying to help people learn to read yeah. and all that stuff, because he was trying. Yeah. But we don't know like where she was going to take this, like if he got a new wife, or he was yeah. with somebody else. I thought he, I I thought he, he had... Because he could. 
you yeah. know, because he could be like, oh, he's this cool guy who like black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we never know. It could be a story. Yeah, I'm working on it. Give me time. If anything, <laughs> like a snake or something. Yeah, yeah. You never know. Yeah, I've been holding Molly Bryson for about forty minutes now. Well, you could have spoke if you are project though, so the computer can pick it up. Okay. Now my brain is going away. <laughs> okay. Well, when you get your thoughts, right. you can. Yeah. Yeah, but I think. I don't know, Kevin, seeing Kevin's own story would be really interesting, be really cool. I would say. And I think it is interesting, though, that how you were saying, like, you had to have that character in there. Mm-hmm. I feel like Kevin was kind of like that draw to, like, what was what was going on right then and there. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, your audience is a bunch of, you know, white white men. So, here's, it was kind of like the token. He, it was like yeah. the token he character. pretty much Definitely. served the purpose as, like... He was basically stuck there for like five years or so, and that kind of like served some sort of purpose because it it gave the main character it gave him the main character a uh, purpose to go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and without that, it wouldn't the plot wouldn't go forward. Yeah, he was her anchor, but then she lost her anchor because then he was there for five years. So then she had to learn what her new anchor was. For, because in the beginning they were saying how Kevin was her anchor back. She well, she was saying how Kevin was her anchor back to what was it like the nineteen seventies? Yeah, yeah. So like Kevin was her anchor home, mm-hmm. but then her anchor came with her and then didn't return. So she kind of she was like, okay, well, what's what's my anchor now? My anchor is like, I'm gonna die. If I die, I go home. If mm-hmm. I'm close to death, I go home. If I feel like like if I believe with all of my being that I'm going to die. Then I'll go home. Mm-hmm. So, Kevin had a purpose. So, yeah. Do you feel like he should have just did more for her? I mean, I, I don't think he, he could have really. He tried in whatever space he had. That's I, mean, I feel like he loved her. I just don't feel yeah. like he could have did much more. It just yeah. No, I mean, in that situation, there was nothing he could do. And then because he was stuck in time for so long, and he became who he was, it was just like, this is who I am now, and you just have to either love him. And help him get out of it, or you. I mean, he could have got her birth certificate though, and just kind of like we have. She a house was so here. dumb for that. Yeah, man. he could have bought like, a house. When she was like, go to the library, and they could have just lived on and it. get the slave papers, and he talked her out of that boy. I, I feel like Kevin like, just. Yeah, if he was a different person, like if he was a different type of person, mm-hmm. the story would be completely different. Like he would have killed Rufus if he was completely. Oh, wait, he would have. I think he actually gave her that, and she told him no. Yeah, because she was like, it was, it was like too dangerous or something. That's dumb. Yeah. You tried to help her. One thing that threw me, though, was like, so he was there for five years. I get it. I do. Like, he, like, knows he, was there. he knows a lot. Yeah. yeah. But what threw me was like, it took him so much to kind of like get over his five years there. Like, it took him much longer than it took Dana. Like, now, granted, Dana was consistently going back and forth, so yeah. I don't think she like, really ever had time yeah. to process. She, she, I feel like... like I have empathy for all characters, all people. Yeah. Right? So, so it's, a, it's an issue. Like, it's sure. a problem in real life. Yeah. I do have a problem because you have to understand for her, it should, we said it was just days. For him, it was five years. Yeah. That's years. Hard. 365 yeah. days. They looked at five. five. <laughs> she could have only gone back for a couple of days. And then not just that. I feel bad for Kevin, too. Because 
I would think that the situation with him being there, when he came back to reality, mm-hmm. you would think that he would speak more behalf on black people and say, man, I done been there, I done seen it, you know. <laughs> if anybody said something to him, he would stand up for her more. But she said he came back with the tendencies of the people who were still in the past, like tendencies that Rufus had. And she had to help him break that tendency well, yeah, that's kind of crazy. But he has to assimilate to the situation, yeah. like in some respects. You know what I mean? Like he has to look normal. And, but he normal. and we do dark, know that though. he was trying to yeah. help yeah. actively yeah. 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 free slaves. But you gotta, oh, yeah. like, you gotta. It's survival, and I gotta mm-hmm. help. So it's the learn and run. But I still gotta make sure I'm okay. Yeah, that's like, great. And I can help you, but I gotta cover my ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm glad that we're ending on this character and that we've spent so much time because it really does encapsulate all the themes that we've talked about in in Octavia Butler's work. Uh, there's that power dynamic where he is helpless to this situation. There's that gender dynamic which he should have stood up or he should not have stood up. What does a man in that situation have to do? And what does what does a woman in that situation have to do? Yeah, 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 yeah. That day, <laughs> <laughs> you ain't working. <laughs> you actually don't explain her arm though to her next husband. That's like crazy. I just meant like if Donna was stuck oh. in the eighteen hundreds, oh. she's oh. getting remarried that day because oh, she can't okay. work or she's somebody's slave. <laughs> but then they then they like if like you were defective, they just kind of like killed like me. killed you. Oh, that's what I was. I mean, if you ain't got no arm, what can you do? Or, or well, you, you got your one the, arm, or you watch the kids. Or you, they still made you work. You're a slave. Yeah. Matter. They don't care. That's, yeah, that's slavery. <laughs> but you should tell us. Yeah, they don't care. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even a horse has a value when it's not able to run anymore, you know? Like, yeah. Can she still bear children? Like, oh, let's Dang, talk about it. I didn't even think of that. Oh, yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. So what are our final thoughts for yeah, today? What is, what's the last thing that you would leave about Octavia Butler and what she's given to us through all of her work, all of these incredible pieces that we've been going through for the past months. Yeah. And if someone was interested mm-hmm. in sure. reading Octavia Butler, what is like what is a piece of advice or a nugget that you would give them? Um, I think she gives us perspective and she questions humanity, our humanity and the humanity of the characters. Um, if I were to give someone advice on reading Butler, I would say take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it in two days. Don't do it. Because it's so much like, when you read it the first time, you're just like, oh, that's different. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go back. And Did I read that? Did I? <laughs> so really take your time. And I would honestly start off with Wild Sea. Because like I like Kindred. That was the first one I read. Mm-hmm. Then I read Heavy. the short stories. But I would start off with Wild Sea because I love the dynamic between the characters. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a subtle... It's a it's a nice like dip your toe. Yeah. Kendra, like you just dived in the cold yeah. water, mm-hmm. like in the twelve feet, mm-hmm. no floaties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot the question. <laughs> oh, you said what? Final thoughts. Okay. Yeah, final thoughts. So basically, I guess um, what Butler does, I feel like as an author, that most authors don't do, is it takes whatever you just said made you uncomfortable and it turns it up to eleven, mm-hmm. and it forces you to really deconstruct whatever thought you had of like. Black and white, uh, right and wrong, you know, mm-hmm. ethically, what am I willing to compromise? Survival, you know, all these mm-hmm. things that we all think we have cemented in our personality. Mm-hmm. And then you have to read it through these characters and how they are so fluid in everything they do. 
and they don't have that concreteness. And I feel mm. like especially right now, people like to have those labels. We assign them to ourselves in comfort, you know? Mm. I'm this, this, that, and the other. I love this, this, that, and the other. You know, like, even nerd culture nowadays, I'm pretty sure y'all bandaged in it, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> a lot of it is just kind of easy to just hop on, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, Butler does that thing where she won't let you. She right. literally won't let you. Whatever side you just decided you were on, <laughs> She's going to force you to think about it the other way. And be I think, uncomfortable. Yeah, mm-hmm. be uncomfortable. Yeah. And honestly, that's how you continue conversation, a real discord about any real mm-hmm. issue. Butler really made me appreciate the art of... Speak up. Speak. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Butler really made me appreciate the art of brutality. Um, it made me really think about, like, historically how... How much, like, we're we're basically all spoiled, and it really did make me appreciate how uh, historically these things did happen, and not to mention, what was I going to say? Um, how I'm drawing a blank again. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. But you're, you're totally right. Just ending it on the brutality aspect, the way that she's able to use this, this forcefulness in her work to kind of snap us into this other line of thinking. Yeah. These extreme situations really do bring out our humanity. And it also made me think a lot of her writing is somewhat timeless. Timeless. It's kind of like The Simpsons, how like it was done so many years ago, and it still relates and applies yeah. now. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. That was definitely what I was basically just going to say that, that she's one of those authors that I don't think it really matters what generation you were born in or what year you're actually in. This is going to be one of those authors that you can read it 30 years from now, or you can read it now. You can read it 30 years prior from now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not prior from now, but you know, before. In the past, And yeah. it would still be relevant because, um, like like I said in the past, it had to do with things that were happening in the culture then. It had to do with genocide, racism, things like that then. We're still having those issues now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, like you said, a brutality, humanity issue that will never go away. I feel like war will never go away. And that is one of the biggest themes that she focuses on. And not just war as far as like country to country, but war as far as people, color, war as far as um, talking about power, war as far as talking about love, mm-hmm. just talking about in general the the struggles that people have within every type of topic. Yeah. <laughs> she covers it all. She doesn't hold back on anything. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything. I think Butler's writing is writing that transcends like any era, any like genre and everything because she just she just is able to like encapsulate the human condition and all these like situations that they have to go to and go through and all these relationships that um are like relevant in this time like the time before and then like the time in the story and then like the time in the future so she just really touches on these aspects of life and humanity that you know, it's just like really hard, but she is able to capture it in an interesting and really like thoughtful way. And then Jay, I'll go last because I always have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, as you try and chew. <laughs> um, I think I think everyone needs a little bit of dark and twisty in their life, and they need a little bit of dark and twisty literature. 
and Butler gives you that tenfold. Like, I don't know. I just think the way that she does it, the way she develops her characters, the way that she has her characters have characters within their characters, like, there's just so much growth and there's so much development. And every story is different, even though a lot of the themes are the same. Um, and just the way that she makes you feel uncomfortable. Like, there's been a few times where I had to kind of, like, put the book down. Like, right. listen to a quick, like, I love you, Jesus song. And, like, come back to Like, there were times where, like, I had to, like, step away. Because it's just, it's so heavy. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have to consume that in, like, two, three days within a week. I have to consume all of this kind of dark and twisty literature. These things that, like, you know, we do deal with every day. But looking at it, someone who wrote this back in, what, the 60s? They're writing about things that it was 10 times worse during their time, but it still applies today. And it'll still apply within 30 to 60 years from now. Um, and she just does it so beautifully. So she's now a new fave. Uh, for me, it's how all of these things, the uh, the brutality of it, the, the way that she forces you into these uncomfortable situations, the things that she brings up, it, it brings us together as humans because we're able to see from different sides and empathize with people that we may not even consider before that. It's, it's putting us in someone else's shoes so that when you run into someone in regular life that you see some tendencies that maybe the day before you would have said, I can't talk to that person. They won't listen to me. I can't talk to them. They won't understand me. Oh, I'm just not even going to bother. This takes you out, makes you look at it, and really see people in a different way. It makes you see humanity in all of us, that we're all capable of darkness. We're all, co- we're all capable of good things. It's just sometimes the pressure of a situation is more than any one person can really say definitively, I am this or I am that. She really makes you turn inwards and say, what are, what are we? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to fulfill all of these roles? And how does that apply to everyone else? How can we carry that into our daily lives and look at other people the way that we see ourselves? Well, thank you guys for all sitting in on Mediums of Afrofuturism. I greatly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of hope that like everything that we talked about, I don't know, I've been dying to talk about just her as a whole and like mm-hmm. everything. So like, I hope that this was beneficial for you all. Um, and for my like three listeners, I hope you guys enjoy this too. <laughs> um, oh yeah, for sure. Oh, I'll just crop that out. But yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just stop this. <laughs> um, I know. I was gonna say.